0: Hello, everybody. Welcome in to another edition of Head Coach U. I am Brian Fisher, joined, as always, by former BYU and Virginia Head Coach Bronco Mendenhall. And Bronco, if there was a Head Coach of the Year Award honor that was handed out last season, I think chances are our next guest, Sonny Dykes of the TCU Horned Frogs, ended up taking it home. Sonny, thank you so much for jumping on with us.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. really appreciate it.
0: Well, well, I... Get into a lot of the, the background and certainly been a head coach at a, a number of different places, but uh, I guess if you could just peel back the curtain for us a little bit in terms of what's the last couple of months uh, been like after you make that run to the national title game?
1: You know, it's been it's been crazy, honestly. Um, you know, you take over a program, and it's my fourth time to do it, uh, which is a lot. You know, most of the time, it's there's not too many guys, I guess, that have, that have done it four times. And so I was lucky to get a chance to, to – Come here to TCU. I, I felt like coming in. It was a great, uh, a great opportunity. You know, I think it's a really great place to live. I'm from Texas, and you know, it's really a special place. Not too many people understand how good of a place it is here. So, anyway, came over, and it's always crazy. I mean, the first year is is you truly just drinking out of a fire hose and trying to get as much done as you can. What helps is again having done it four times, and you do get a little better sense every time you do it what's really important and the stuff that's not as important. And I think that's, you know, the one thing we tried to do from day one really was say, okay, what's going to move the needle for our program. What's the most important things that we can, and can accomplish. And it was all, it was all about the players. You know what I mean? I think it's sometimes our focus, we, we lose focus on all the different things, but we tried to put a hundred percent of our attention and focus and, and pour out everything we could into the players. And so uh, that's what we did. And, that was crazy. Just trying to get uh, build a relationship with those guys was really the first thing. Um, today's world is so different now because, you know, your team used to be your team and now your team is kind of almost rented. <laughs> you know, you feel like that there are years today, but there's, you know, you have these portal windows and there's certain times of the year where you're basically kind of renting the players up until that point in, in some ways. And so anyway, we had some guys jump in the portal really before I even became the head coach. And and but our biggest thing that we tried to do was let's keep as many guys as we can. You know, we had played TCU when I was at SMU. We felt like they had a lot of a lot of talent on the football team, and and uh, so our thought was let's try to keep as many of the pieces as we can. And so that was really our focus from the get-go: was get to know the players, build a relationship with those guys, share our vision for the program, and then and then you know the big thing, one big thing that I'm a big believer in is. You know, we, we did, we kind of laid out our plan. We said, here's what we want to do and here's how we want to do it. And oh, by the way, here's why these things are important. And here's how they're going to make you a better football player individually. And here's how they're going to make us a better team collectively. And I think today's young people, you know, they need to know why. They just, they're they're sophisticated. They're, uh, they're smart, they're worldly. And so I think it's important for them to understand you know, why, why these things are important and how it's going to help them and how it's going to help us win together as a team. So anyway, that's kind of what we did. And, um, and then we finished up recruiting. And so that was kind of crazy. And then we went into spring ball. We really had some huge holes in our team. You know, we, we had five scholarship D linemen that went through spring football, uh, last year. And so, you know, we were in dire, a dire situation on our defensive front. And, we went out and find a, found a couple of transfers. And then, you know, uh, we were fortunate we found a true freshman nose guard that started 15 games for us this year. And I don't think he turned 18 until like the 10th game of the season. So he was starting for us as a 17 year old. Um, it was a heck of a player for us. And so we, we found those transfers. And then, you know, and then the thought at that point was okay, look, we don't have a lot of depth we're going to really need to take care of these guys. And we never practiced one time more than 18 periods, the whole fall camp or in the season, just because we literally had no depth. And so we were going to have to make sure we didn't hurt ourselves in practice. And we got our players fresh and the guys enjoyed it and they started having fun and won a couple of games early and got a little confidence. And and there, there it went. And so you know, that was kind of the season. And then the crazy thing about it is, you you, you know, you have a little bit of a break uh, leading up to the Fiesta Bowl, you know, because we played in the Big 12 championship and lost to Kansas State, who, who was a really good football team. And um, and then we had a little bit of time to kind of gather up a little bit, a little bit of time to recruit. And then it was on to the Fiesta Bowl. And then, believe it or not, as soon as we win the Fiesta Bowl, we fly back here to, to Fort Worth. And, you know, we have official visits that whole week leading up to the national championship. So we had five transfers that came in that week while we're trying to get ready to play in the national championship game. So that ended then directly into recruiting and then finally got a break in in February. So that first year was, was kind of crazy. Um, we talked about as a coaching staff, just the way stuff fell, you know, with the season being the way it is, you know, we worked, um, every single day from July 24th up until February 5th and never had a day off, you know, and our, our, everybody was worn out and our players, it's pretty crazy. Our players, you know, played January 9th and then they had to turn around and come back to school the next week. Uh, so nobody got a break. And so the first thing we did is when the players came back, we gave, we gave the players a couple of weeks off and gave our coaches a, quite a bit of time off after signing day. And, you know, we just needed to recharge a little bit and, Anyway, rolled into spring ball, um, you know, felt like we had a good, good signing class. Got you know filled in again with some transfers and had a good signing class, and um, and then rolled into spring and thought we had a really good spring. And so, and then of course back to transfer recruiting. That's kind of been going on now and then, um, and then we're finished, Our coaches are finishing on the road this week. We'll have next week off. Everybody have a little bit of time off and then we'll hit the camp circuit hard, you know, June 3rd and 4th, we'll have close to 5,000 kids on campus over those two days. We do those big, big camps and we invite other staffs. And so we'll probably have 3,000 or close to 3,000 kids on Saturday and probably 2,000 on Sunday. Um, And then, you know, kind of, you know, the, the camps during the week and then recruiting official visits three weekends in a row. And then, Uh, everybody will need another break after that so that's kind of what's been going on so a lot of stuff but it's been a lot of fun I mean you know it's been one of those years that um, you know what what made it especially fun obviously anytime you, you win games it's fun it's exciting but what really made this year fun was we literally had no expectations you know we thought coming out of spring that we might be able to make a bowl game you know we thought Six, seven wins, maybe something we can do just with some of the depth issues we had. And then we got through fall camp and we kind of thought, yeah, you know, eight wins, nine wins if things fall into place. And, you know, all of a sudden you looked up and we were 12 and 0. So real credit to our players. I mean, we just had a really special group of guys, had a ton of leadership, Um, you know, and then we had a quarterback that just kind of willed us to, to win some football games and really had an opportune team. That played well down the stretch and some key ball games. So it was a blast. It was a fun year. You know, things have changed now. We, we're riddled with expectations now, <laughs> which uh, which I guess is a good thing. But, you know, we'll learn how to all deal with that as a coaching staff and most importantly as players and, and you know, see how we can do from here.
2: So after listening to and be remi- being reminded of what, what the life looks like of a head football coach, an especially successful one, and especially one that, man plays that many games and so yeah. that, that cycle is amazing what what is it that you that you love about your job the things that I don't know that you look forward to the most the demand the expectations all those things are really challenging what are the things you really love
1: you know what I like is I I love spring practice you know what I mean I love being on the grass with the players um, you know just getting around talking to guys I love having players in my office and you know, just getting to know young people and trying to help them get where they want to go. You know, it's funny you have, we were fortunate this year we had eight players drafted and I've never coached anywhere where we had, I don't think half as many in one year as we did last year. And so, um, you know, so you have those guys that are kind of preparing for the NFL and then you have these young guys that are trying to, to, that have those same aspirations, but then you also have two thirds of your team, really probably three fourths of your team that those guys are just trying to figure out what's next in their life outside of football. And so, you know, that's, that's what I enjoy. I enjoy trying to to work with the NFL guys and help them realize their dreams, but also try to put as much attention to those guys that are going to go on to be fathers and husbands and dads and, and uh, you know, and try to just be successful business people and, you know, try to have a, a good life and, and, make the world better. And so that's what I like. And I like, I love fall camp. You know, I love watching a team come together. Um, it's really fun when you start to, to see, you know, leaders lead and followers follow and people start to realize, you know, their role. And, and, you know, that's the most exciting thing in some ways is just watching a team come together. And it's really fun when it happens. You know, we, we went on a little run when I was coaching at, um, When I was coaching at Louisiana Tech, we went on a a run over two years where I think we won like 17 out of 18 regular season games and, um, you know, over a two-year span. And it was fun just watching those guys begin to believe in themselves and, you know, and figure out that, hey, look, we can do this and we're capable of a lot more, you know, together than we are individually. And and, and just all those stuff that's kind of in a weird sort of way – Almost cliche, but it is. That's what I really enjoy about the game. And, you know, the Spronco as a head coach, you know, you don't really get to do as much X's and O stuff. I mean, I miss going into a dark room on Sunday and, you know, spilling this wall full of ideas and waking up Monday morning and going in the office and realizing 90% of them are bad ideas. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> And so that's, I I miss those days. You know, you don't really get to do that much as a head coach just because, you know, if if you're sitting in your office by yourself, that's not a good thing. I mean, you need to have players and coaches and people and, and stuff in here and, and um, you know, and you need to be communicating and trying to get a feel for your team. And the worst thing you can do is, is be in a dark room, I think as a head coach. And so I do miss that part of it. You know, um, I really did enjoy, you know, game planning and, trying to figure out how to make a first down and that kind of stuff. But, um, but, you know, that's probably just being around the kids and and watching them figure stuff out and watching them grow up. I mean, that's, what's really special is when you can go someplace and, and be someplace for four years and, and watch people change. You know, we had a, my first year at SMU after my first year at SMU, we took a transfer kid named Reggie Robertson uh, that, you know, had been at West Virginia for a year and transferred to SMU and his home was, was, DFW and you know when you have a chance to watch somebody change from the time you get him to the time he leaves as much as Reggie did and um, you know just getting to see guys do that I mean it's just really really special and you know getting to see players you know get married and have kids and become fathers and become friends and you know that's one of the things I always enjoy is going to weddings you know you go to your players weddings and and um, just you know, watching them grow up as much as anything else, I think that's probably as satisfying as anything, honestly.
2: One of the things you said earlier—it it struck me when you talked about um, almost where you feel like your team is rented. Um, the, the 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 landscape of college football has changed significantly, and and so the transient nature of of players, much like um, it used to be, maybe with assistant coaches um, yep, or yep. you know, there's there's a blurring of those lines now. I'm wondering, just as you, as you think about that and leading, you know, your team and in college football, man, what, what things are you targeting, uh, besides maybe just the depth of relationships to, uh, with your coaching staff and to try to, to hold on to right your team as much as you can.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know what Bronco? It's funny. I think, you know, people ask me all the time. We have, you had to change. I don't know. I I think I always felt like I was selling before to Mm. to players anyway. You know what I mean? I, I don't, I don't know that we've changed much um, just because, you know, I always believed that relationships are really important. I always believed that if, if the players, you know, didn't believe that you cared about them off the field then they weren't going to play for you and they certainly weren't going to play for you when things got tough. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so I, I, I don't know that that's changed. I think that probably what you have to be now maybe it's a little more proactive.
0: Mm.
1: You know, I, one of the things I do every single day at practice is, you know, I walk around and just look at players and guys that are standing in the back of the line and trying to hear what those guys are saying, or, or they're looking at their body language and how they're interacting with their teammates. And, you know, and we try to be as, as um, forward thinking as we can, in terms of like, you know, we want, we don't want to be reactionary. We want to try to deal with those issues before they become issues. And so, a lot of times, you know, I'll tell a player at practice, hey, come by my office, see me, let's, let's talk about what's going on. And, you know, sometimes it's, hey, I'm thinking about maybe leaving or I don't know about my role. And then other times it's, you know, I got an issue with a class or a professor or a girlfriend or something going on at home. And, and so, you know, I think that, um, you know, the one thing that's different, I will say this, I think the one thing that's different with players these days, and I get asked all the time, and, and people – assume that kids are different these days. And I don't really know that they're they're much different at all. I think they, you know, they still want to be cared for and they still want to be coached hard and they still want uh, expectations and they still want consequences. And, and um, you know, they, they believe in accountability. They really do want that. I think we all want that. Um, But the one thing that seems like these carry kids do more than other kids in, in the past is they carry the problems of their parents. I think more than, Than kids used to, you know, I think sometimes when a kid went off to college, you know, they didn't have to answer the phone all the time or they didn't have to. There wasn't communication all the time about what's going on at home. And what happens a lot of times now is our kids come to college and things are great. You know, they're they're doing well in their classes and they're playing football and they're showing up and they're working hard and they love their teammates and things are good. But a lot of times things aren't good at home and with, with cell phones and and the fact that you can, you know, communicate with these kids nonstop. And sometimes these kids can't get away from those problems that they leave at those hometowns. And I think, you know, they carry a, a heavy burden, you know, they want to take care of the, their parents and they want to take care of the people that have taken care of them for so long, but it's difficult to do sometimes because, you know, they're a long way away from home and they're trying to get their own life together. And, and it just seems like that happens more and more now with kids than it used to about, hey, you know, my my mom's having these really tough issues or I got this going on with my dad or, you know, and I think COVID probably contributed to that a little bit with some of the strain it put on some people financially. But um, but anyway, that's, that's I think, one mm-hmm. of the things that's different probably in, about today's world maybe than it was in the past.
2: It's interesting, uh, and maybe one of the connecting points which you said is that um, the accessibility uh, makes it um, harder for there to be that separation, knowing that the cell phones and and the way uh, social media is. And so sometimes a, a young man would go off to college and there was a, a payphone, or there was, you know, some way or there were letters a long yeah. time ago. Yeah. Uh, now the, the constant connectivity, um, I think, maybe facilitates what you're saying of of them living in two places at the same time where they're trying to kind of have their learning and growing experience at college. But at the same time on a daily basis, um, many times they still have the connection to the challenges at home. Is what it sounds like.
1: Yeah. And I think, I think you put it a really good way, kind of live in two places at once. I mean, I never thought of it in that terms, but really, I think that's kind of what a lot of these guys are going through because, you know, they really do, you know, they, they obviously love the people that love them and, and, um, you know, just like I said, it seems like more than anything now, these guys are just carrying the burden of their parents,
2: yeah.
1: um, you know, in, in their lives and their struggles and, and that probably more than they have in the past. And, you know, as you said, I do, obviously technology has so much to do with that. I mean, it's just hard to get away now and, and, you know, and these kids get pulled a million different directions. And I think that's new, you know, you think about these guys now, and I mean, you know, we have players on our team and, They might have, if you're a quarterback, you probably have a quarterback coach that you worked with. And chances are you worked with somebody in, you know, strength and conditioning kind of outside your high school team as well. And then you have, you know, your coaches you talk to, and then more than likely you probably, you know, might have somebody who's trying to get involved in your NIL stuff. You know, we have people all the time that are coming, coming to our players now and are saying, Hey, I want to represent you in NIL and. You know, these kids just don't know, you know, what, what does that mean? I don't really know what that means. And so, you know, that world is just different now than it used to be. These kids just have so many more influences on it maybe than they have in the past. And a lot of these guys played on seven on seven teams. So you have your seven on seven coach. And then, you know, before long, there's just five or six adults that, you know, are trying to take an active role in, in these kids and how they make decisions and what they're going to do. And sometimes it's hard for these kids to tell adults, no, you know, I'm look, I'm 53 years old. I still have a hard time telling people no. And when you're 18 to 22, it's can be really tough. And especially when, you know, these guys have a vested interest in you. And, And so it's just a complicated thing now for, for a lot of these young people. And it used to be much more simple. It used to be your high school coach and, and your family were the two people that you really relied on and leaned on. And now, you know, it's just, there's a lot of other players in the game all of a sudden.
2: There is, and it's really challenging because a lot of times the most respectful and and the the kids that, that really want to please others and, and to do right by those that have helped them, um, they influence their decisions. And so you said besides maybe one or two now, if that number grows to five or, or so, and what if those messages at times might not align with, maybe your thoughts as the head coach or maybe their coordinator or position coach. And, you know, um, something like you ought to be playing in this system or they ought to be using you this way or, uh, you you know, those kind of things. And um, those create challenges. And it's really hard for a young person to perform at their best when the messaging isn't consistent. And as the head coach, I'm sure it's really challenging now with the different layers added to try to keep all that messaging unified. Uh, yeah. Yeah.
1: No, it definitely is. I mean, it's, it is, it's, and it's hard too because, you know, all those people, they're not here. They don't really know what's going on here. And sometimes, you know, that chain of communication isn't that good between the player and what's going on. And then all of a sudden these guys are drawn conclusions based on things that they don't really know that much about. And so it is, it's hard to figure out who's involved, you know, you know, the first rule of recruiting figure out who the decision maker is you know and who's going to give them guidance well it's it's that way now um you know when it comes to to these guys making decisions and and a lot of people you know i always i always hate the the semester breaks because what happens is these young people go home and they you know they get around a bunch of different people whether it's family or whether it's you know just different people that that don't really know what their situation is and don't have any kind of understanding of it. And all of a sudden everybody starts, you know, putting their two cents in, you know, you ought to do this, you ought to do that. You ought to go to the transfer portal. You ought to think about transferring to this school. You need to get more, you should be getting more than you're getting or, you know, whatever the case may be. And, and those kids down deep in their heart and soul, I mean, they kind of know what's going on and they know that you're trying to take, take care of them. And they know that the guy in front of them is better. You know, but then all of a sudden they go home and they hear from people that don't know that and, and it, you know, convolutes their thinking and, and all, you know, you get these phone calls all the time from these kids that call and, you know, well, I'm thinking about this or I'm thinking about that. And you're just like, well, who have you been talking to? That's yeah. so far from reality and what's really going on. Look, you you know how it is here. We, we care about you. We love you. We're developing you. You're getting better. You're on track. You're doing exactly what you're supposed to do and you got a great future and, Sometimes these guys kind of kind of lose their way, uh, you know, when they get a lot of voices in their head, and and I think most of the time they're well intentioned voices, but sometimes sometimes some of these folks have some skin in the game as well, and they're they're, you know, they're not always worried about just the player's well being. They're trying to figure out, you know, how they can get something out of it as well. So it's very very complicated, and as you said, is really hard on the the better the kid, it seems like the harder it is on them, just because. As you, you know, they, they don't want to disappoint people and they want to make them proud and they, you know, they're respectful and uh, it can be tough on those guys.
2: One of the words that I, I heard you say just a second ago, and sometimes at semester breaks, uh, folks at home or others, the word should comes up. You should be this mm-hmm. or you should <laughs> be that should leads pretty quickly to an entitlement mindset. And, yeah, yeah. And, and and it's a departure from the reality, as you were saying, of what what really is real at school and so sometimes when that should comes in over break, they come back with the should. Yeah. And, and, and their yeah, mind should. should yeah.
1: yeah. Should creates all kinds of problems. Yeah. <laughs> it really does. I mean, it's, <clears throat> you know, and again, most of the time these kids really know, I mean, they, they know kind of where they're at and that's why they're comfortable with their situation. I mean, they all want to do better and they all want, want more and they all want to achieve a, a higher than they are. And, um, but I think most of the time, you know, they realize, okay, look, it's, it's going to take some time or, or, you know, I'm on the path and I'm working hard and this guy in front of me actually is better or or whatever the case may be. And, and so, you know, that's the one thing that I try to do with our kids is, you know, when they come in and they sit down, it's just be as blunt and honest and straightforward with them as you can be. And just say, look, here's where you are. Here's where this thing is. And, um, you know, and look, it's going to be a, a process and, If you're not okay with the process, then, then, you know, you got to do what you got to do, but you also need to understand when you go to another school, that process doesn't go away. You know, that you're going to have to go through that same thing again, and you're going to go through it. You know, it's going to be unfamiliar to you. There's going to be an adjustment. There's going to be a learning curve and growth and, and all that type of stuff. So at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's weird. People ask me all the time. I mean, I get asked, you know, what do you think about the transfer portal? What do you think about NIL? Um, you know, I, I'm, I have mixed emotions on on both of them, but I think at the end of the day, I think they're both good for players. I really do believe that. I believe the transfer portal is good for players because it allows somebody who made a mistake to rectify that mistake, you know, and they may, and it may not even be a mistake. Circumstances may have changed. You have a change in coaching staff. You have a change in position coach. You have a change in scheme. You know, you have a changing situation at home that you need to get closer to. You know, you have all these things that, that are changing. And, you know, I always felt like as coaches, we were allowed to to evolve and we were allowed to move up the ladder and we were allowed to do those things. Why in the world would we not want our players to have that same opportunity? And so I, I do believe, you know, in the transfer portal, and I, and I do think it's about kids finding the right situation for them. I do wish that they would or that we could teach them, you know, how to persevere, you know, and understanding that just changing schools, isn't it, isn't, you know, a solution. You still have the same problems when you go to that other school that you've had at this school. Um, But sometimes they have to figure that out on their own. And I think some guys go make the most of those opportunities and some guys go and don't make the most of them. And hopefully they learn a lesson from that, that, that they'll carry with them for the rest of their lives. Um, and it's the same thing with NIL. Look, we, you know, you hear about some of the numbers that some of these schools make, you know, university of Texas making, you know, $200 million a year in football or something crazy like that. You know, why in the world would you not want, um, you know, the, the most important part of the equation, which are the players, why would you not want those guys to share in in that? Um, and so I totally understand NIL. I think that you know, people do own their name, image, and likeness, and they should be able to, to, you know, um, to, to gain an advantage or, or monetize it. Um, but, you know, the two of them together, you know, when you, when you put NIL and you put the transfer portal together, that's to me where you have problems. And And I think some of the things that are going on now in college football are a result of those two things converging at the same time and, and, uh, like I said, it's, it's, it's the, the unintended consequences that, that we all, we all are trying to figure out what's best for the game of football. But sometimes, you know, we have these consequences that aren't what they think they're going to be. And I don't know that any of us saw name, image and likeness in the transfer portal, you know, becoming like free agency. And that's really what it is. And,
2: yeah.
1: you know, and that's, and that's unfortunate. I don't think that's good for the game of football. And I think at the end of the day, it's probably not good for kids, um, you know, just because I'm seeing kids all the time that are, you know, leaving, leaving situations where they're really happy and they're doing well, they're on the right track to go to another situation that they don't really know anything about uh, just, you know, for, for money. Uh, and that money can be really short lived. And then oftentimes we're finding out now that a lot of these promises aren't being kept, you know, which is really a, a sad, a sad statement on adults and and some of the things now that's happening in college football. So, anyway, it's 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 an interesting time to be a coach, and probably even a, a more interesting time to be a player.
2: Yeah, lots of challenges, and I think what you just mentioned was a great point. The full the force multiplier of NIL and the transfer portal at the same time, both um, underformed and maybe underregulated and under understood. Exactly. But uh, both launched to collect. In a in a, a collection together, I think that force multiplier exacerbated the, the, the things that kind of had led to to now and the other thing you talked about. You know when you visit with players and how transparent you are talking to them about their role or developing, but then this other word that comes out and time. Like it does take time and so when you put those force multipliers together and then you say it does take time and then teaching like you said the perseverance or resilience there's a friction point there of just leaving to to do the next thing that they don't really know um, or truly investing in uh, being developed. Um, and that does take time. And, and then sorting out the truth and all that I think is, is probably one of your, your uh, head coaches and, and your seats, hardest jobs, right? Is to, to help them see the plan for them to make sure they know this is going to work. And they have a part in that too. They versus just, I shouldn't say just versus leaving for another place. And I used to have similar conversations with assistant coaches. And so it it seems like it's those conversations are happening now just with uh, a little less maturity and a different um, um, group of people, but a lot of the same messaging.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I do think, Bronco, one of the things that's interesting, you know, in today's world is like – and you, your, your background similar to mine. I mean, look, you've coached at places that historically, you know, have been difficult places to win. I mean, you've had uh, – you know, I mean, we haven't coached at Alabama and, and uh, you know, in Texas and, and places like that. I mean, those are – you know, and so when, when you're at a place, you know, like a BYU or a Virginia or the places I've been, a Louisiana Tech, a, um, an SMU, a Cal, uh, you know – those are difficult places. And, you know, part of what you have to do at those places is you have to be really good at player development. You, you know what I mean? You got to find guys that, that fit what you're doing. And I always thought that's what you did such a good job of at BYU was, you know, you knew what you wanted those players to look like and you right. knew the kind of guys you could get being at BYU and you could build your team around those, those kind of guys. And we've had to do the same thing. I mean, when I went to Louisiana Tech, you know, you know, we had to find speed. You know, we because we were in, in Louisiana and we could find a lot of guys that could run. And so we kind of built our team around being really fast and then we had to try to get really big, and that was going to take some time. Yep. And but we could get fast quickly. But anyway, that's kind of goes back to that same thing with the players and coaches, really, for that matter, is what happens today is I think in today's world You know, these players all have friends. Um, And and I think somehow probably from my generation, you know, to to kind of the, the new generation, the younger generation, you know, we all kind of had the same path. In other words, you went to work someplace, you proved yourself, you moved up, you proved yourself, you moved up, you proved yourself, you moved up. And I think what happened was all of a sudden in the world, really, um, you know, young people started to know guys that graduated from college and went to work at some startup. And two years later, they're making a million dollars, you know, and, and where, you know, we're five years into coaching. I was making $4,000 a year at Navarro <laughs> Junior College. You know what I'm saying? And so I think that's, you know, it changes people's expectations. And I think when when they know people and they have people in their family that have had this really, really kind of quick success and they've had a, uh, a substantial quick financial windfall, you know, then I think these play, these people, these young people, whether it's, you know, kids in college or whether it's college athletes or whatever it may be, they start to think, well, why can't I do that? And, and so I think there's a different mindset and I do think that, you know, kids these days, you know, they, they want things fast uh, and it's because they, they see adults get things fast, you know, and I think that that's different. And I think we've got as coaches, you know, football's that's really not how football works for the vast majority of people. You know, it's a, it's a developmental game and there's some guys that are so talented. They walk through the front door and, you know, they just get it and they're, they're bigger, stronger, faster, and, and have a better feel than other people. But most of the, most of the time, and again, especially at, places we've coached at it's about developing it's about yeah. you know hey look there's a there's a formula here you got to follow the formula and you have to do all these things right and then all of a sudden if you do those things right then you know what you have a chance yeah. it's not guaranteed you just have a chance and now you know you're going to be given that opportunity and now you got to go continue to do better and better and better and it's like I, we told our team every week this year hey congratulations on the win <laughs> um you know that's great that's what you're supposed to do but guess what You know you have to work harder. You know you just hit your you just hit your quota, and you know what? When you hit your quota, your quota goes up, and now you got to figure out how to continue to 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 do better and better and better. And and I do think that that is again our job is to, to, you know, teach young people that look. You know everybody wants this to be easy and everybody wants it to happen fast, but for the vast majority of us, me included, you know it's going to take a long time, and it just did, and it. And if guys will see that and understand that and think big picture, then I think most of the time they're, they're going to you know, make decisions that I'm hoping will benefit them in the long run. And at the end of the day, that's really what you want.
2: Yeah. I, 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 there's so much in there that I just listened to you say that it's powerful. And uh, what one of the, the challenges we all face is self-assessment. And, and sometimes we think we are the person that's the bigger, stronger, faster. And, and as you pointed out, um, I love the developmental process. It's also where I've coached most of my career, yeah. yes. and, and and I'm most, my most fulfilled by seeing the guys that come in that have worked so hard, so long, and become. I, I loved watching that process, and yep. and in a way, uh, I reflect that much like you. Snow College for forty five hundred dollars. Uh, is is where I started uh, training horses the rest of the year to kind of make it work, and I, I cherished those times. I was just the commencement speaker back at, at Snow College, and uh, I mean, I got all emotional. I could hardly talk just because I was so thankful for the challenge. And and somehow it'd be really nice to help these kids be thankful for the challenge of becoming. And so many of us, even grown ups, we don't self assess ac- accurately. And and that's a tricky thing, because if you don't really see yourself how you truly are, it's hard to get better. But you also think you might be entitled to more or somewhere else. And and that's kind of what I heard you talking about. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I think that's right on the money. I think, you know, in a weird sort of way, it's 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 like you, you know, you almost feel sorry for those guys that Mm -hmm. are so good and it's so easy for them because it's, you know, I think the one thing that, you know, when you when you have a magical season like we had this past year, and, and like I said, you wake up one day and you go, you know, we're 12 and zero, and how in the world did we get here? Um, you know, it's, it's, it means more to me because, you know, I was one in 11, my first year at Cal. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And, it, and so I almost feel bad for those guys in the profession that have been, you know, fortunate and blessed enough to, you know, to have only had success. And I think I was that way, you know, really honestly until I got to Cal, you know, i have yeah. been at, excuse me, I've been at Navarro Junior College. We won. I'd been at Texas or Kentucky. We won. I'd been at Texas Tech. We won. I'd been at Arizona. We won. You know, I'd been at um, Louisiana Tech. We won. And in, in all those places, it was kind of like we won bigger than they had ever won before. Right. And it's because we had a bunch of good players. But then all of a sudden you get someplace and, you know, and you go, whoa, what happened <laughs> here? You know, how did this happen? And so it's good, though, because it does, you you know, I'm, I'm thankful for that four years I was a Cal and how much I learned. And and, and what I get to do now is I get to enjoy the wins probably more than I would have had mm-hmm. I not been through that. And, yeah. you know, and I talk about it all the time, you know, with kids and raising kids and, you know, just the importance of your kids working hard, you know, and, and earning something. I'll never forget when I was 12 years old, I used to push the lawnmower from door to door to door and ask people to, hey, I'll cut your grass for five bucks. Okay. Well, You know, I remember at the end of that summer, you know, I had like one hundred and fifty dollars saved. And so um, I remember going to the mall and what I wanted was a Sony Walkman so bad. And they had those sport Sony Walkmans that were yellow in the case. Yeah,
2: I, I know exactly what that is.
1: Yeah. And so so, I mean, that's that's what I got. I mean, I went and bought a Sony Walkman and I bought the Prince 1999 tape. (laughs) <laughs> that was my big thing. So I'd saved all, all summer to, to buy those. And, you know, at the end of the day, every day, I used to go get a Q-tip and alcohol and clean off the heads of the, you know, the player on the, uh, on the Walkman. And, and, you know, and I'd got a lot of joy from having that Walkman and I see yeah, I still have it, believe it or not, it still works. You know, this is 40 years later. Um but I, I got a tremendous amount of joy from that because I worked hard for it, you know. And it, was, I knew every time I listened to the, the tape, um, you know, what I put into it. And and so I, I think that, man, I hate it for young people sometimes when we give them all these things and and they don't really get the joy that comes from working hard and and really investing their time and and taking care of something and watching it grow, um, and watching it. You know, I think. You know, I think sometimes it's, I, like I said, I almost feel sorry for those folks. And, and some people in our profession, you know, some coaches have, have been these places and, you know, they've been at historically good programs and they're really fortunate to have been at those. And, um, you know, but I think at the end of the day, they're probably more relieved when they win football games than they are happy. Yeah. And I do think that that is the one thing that I try to be. You know, is just happy. You know, try to go in the locker room, really celebrate with our players, and you know, look, we all feel the pressure or whatever in, in football, and it's it's a hard way to make a living. But you know, to me, my perspective is a lot different than it used to be. I'll never forget when I was at Cal, one year. You know, we went to Texas and we beat Austin. we beat, we went to Austin and we beat Texas. And um, my third year at Cal, and so we go in there, and you know, I grew up, my dad coached at Texas, I grew up on that field when I was a kid, you know, playing football there in the seventies and, you know, our neighborhood kids would load up and we would go to Memorial stadium and we have these football games on Sundays, you know, with 25 neighborhood kids at at the football stadium. So that place meant a lot to me. It was pretty special. So we won the game there and, you know, my dad was there. He lived right down the road outside of Austin and I'll never forget, you know, the game is, counting down i'm getting ready to walk across the field to go shake charlie strong's hand and i'm about two steps over there and i'm thinking man we got to go on the road next week and play washington Mm -hmm. and so i got to to the locker room my dad was like boy don't you feel great i just was like yeah but we got to go play washington next week and this and this and this and he was like man you don't get it because I'm i'm gonna tell you something right now that you need to know is you need to you've been working your whole life to win this game and to have a chance to do what you did tonight, enjoy it, celebrate it. Don't worry about what's next and, and put it in perspective. And, and anyway, he said, look, if you're not going to get joy from coaching, don't be in this profession. And so I, I, it's a real, real good reality check for me, you know, and I think that's the one thing I've tried to do ever since then is really celebrate the games and enjoy them and be present, you know, with, with the players and with my family after the game. And then we'll worry about what's next on Sunday.
2: It's a powerful lesson and really hard to do. Um, so many of our colleagues and in the time that I've paused uh, have reached out and said, "To your point, I'm just relieved when we win." And the expectations are are really high. Um, the pressures are great, uh, but the perspective is is needed. And, and kind of back to your point of of the journey <laughs> that we've taken. I, I think we we cherish the things that we've earned, and and when when you go through that process and joy uh, doesn't accompany the accomplishment that that's a time to self-assess and to reassess number one why are we doing it um yeah. and and for whom and going back to i remember uh your time at cal um and and i was at byu and and i i felt kind of a kinship at that time just as i was uh just watching and seeing struggles and growth and, and transformation of a program and what that takes and knowing what that takes. And uh, there's something to be said about that process. And now that, man, at TCU and so early that there is success, I think what, what it sounds like is there's just been a, a really strong emphasis to, to not forget the process. Uh, what it took, and then to really feel grateful and happy that it is happening and knowing how fragile that is because in our profession, um, it, it, any given year, it can go so many different ways, and that margin is pretty thin.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you were kind, Bronco. Y'all y'all came to Berkeley and put a pretty good little beat down on us <laughs> for my second year there. So uh, <laughs> no, I, I don't, if we won that game, we would have gone to a bowl game too. <laughs> I'm still mad about that.
2: There you go. So, I, but all I remember is is I think uh, Goff was the quarterback and he threw for like five million yards and the game went uh, into either one or two overtimes. I don't remember hardly anything other than at the end. I was happy, but I can't say I didn't feel relief. I, and I, I, <laughs>
1: yeah. the relief creeped in for sure. Yeah, yeah, it was it was a, it was a heck of a game. Like I said, it's my second year there, and and um, yeah, you guys were good, man. it goes back to what what I said earlier. What, what I thought you guys always did such a great job of was you know, you had these players that you had these long athletic linebackers and, and, you know, your defense was built to free those guys up and let them run sideline to sideline. And just, it was always real impressed. Just thought you did a tremendous job of, you know, realizing who you were and what you were going to have and building around your strengths. And you had these, you had big offensive linemen and you played the physical brand of football and just always had a ton of respect for, you know, the way you built that your team and your program and, you know, the way you guys played, you always played really hard and, like I said, um, not to get off the subject, but I really thought I was real impressed with, with the way your guys played, and the way you guys coach.
2: I, I appreciate it. I've, I've got one other uh, question that I, I think our listeners and and things that I'm uh, experiencing now, which is I feel really lucky. So in between your time at Cal and SMU, um, because this that's kind of part of the coaching profession, right? There are times where for various, various reasons, there could be breaks, there could be ups, there could be downs, there could be in-betweens. And I'm wondering the influence maybe that that year between Cal and SMU um, in the time I think you were an analyst at TCU maybe. I was, yeah. Um, I'm yeah. wondering just like how that was formative in in your process because I think it'll probably be good for others to hear because things yeah, aren't sure. always just seamless and smooth for everybody. Yeah,
1: yeah, no, for sure. So, uh, so year three at – at uh, Cal, you know, we had a really good football team. Play- One went to a bowl game, won a bowl game, had the first pick in the NFL draft. You know, really kind of felt like that we were, um, you know, headed to a good place. You know, it was we were recruiting better. Um, you know, we'd had some academic issues that we had inherited, and all our issues were fixed. You know, we'd fixed. Uh, we were nine twenty-two APR and had gone from nine twenty-two to a thousand, and really had done some of the things that that. We wanted to do, Um, but, but it's funny, you know, the one thing I did learn Bronco that I think was, was a a really good lesson for me is, you know, we were so bad when I first got there. Mm -hmm. It's those things are, you know, when you kind of have that approach and you kind of tear a program down to a, to a degree uh, to rebuild it. um, And that wasn't really our intent. I mean, we weren't trying to go one in 11, but you know, what happens is when you do that, there's a certain amount of people that at that point just kind of say, you know what, this guy can't do it. Exactly. You know, that you never win those people back. And I do think that that was part of what happened to us at Cal is we were so bad early and we got, you know, we go one win, five wins, I think nine wins, maybe third year, eight wins. um, That you kind of, you know, you feel like you're headed to the right, in the right direction, but it's like people just can't forget the way it started. And so, Anyway, it was good for me to to you know I got fired after my my fourth year. We went five and seven, um, and really felt like we had the best personnel that we ever had there, and felt like the team was really kind of headed to a good place. It um, got fired, which again I I don't blame Cal for firing me. You know I was I felt at that point that that wasn't necessarily the right place for me, and I was trying to leave, and and so they were more than happy to give me what I wanted and and send me out the door. And so, so they did that. And, you know, at that point it's like, okay, what do I do now? You know? And, and, you know, I tried to be really intentional about what was next. Um, and for me, you know, I always, I was 35 years old before I got married and that was intentional. I was, I wanted to be able to pick up and move and go places and, and, work my way up the ladder as a coach as quickly as I could. And, and so, you know, I, I didn't get married until later in my life and, and, you know, and I hadn't been great about making decisions based on my, my wife and my family. And so what I decided to do at that point was like, I'm going to do something for my, for my wife and kids, and I'm going to get back to Texas. I'm going to be close to my father, but most importantly, I'm going to be close to my wife's parents and her family and her friends and, and do something for her. And then I, and then obviously I was fortunate enough to have a chance to come work for you know one of the best coaches in college football and that was Gary Patterson and it was great for me because I'd kind of cut my teeth under offensive coaches Hal Mummy and Mike Leach and now I got to go see how a guy that was going to approach the game much differently than they did and so it was a, it was a really really good learning experience for me and and what happens is in those situations the, the biggest problem when you don't have that success is all of a sudden you lose your confidence. Mm -hmm. And for me, you know, I'm sitting there going, what did I do wrong? How did I screw this up? Yeah. What, you know, I'm not a good coach. What's part of, you know, and I think that, you know, I'm probably harder on myself. You know, I think I probably look, you always need to look in the mirror and address your yourself first. And sometimes I think that I'm not very good on moving on from me to somebody else. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so, anyway, so I needed a confidence boost and I came here and we went 11 and three the year I was here and we played in the big 12 championship and we had a ton of success and I learned a lot. And Gary's approach was so much different than mine had been. And and it was great, a great experience. And so, you know, but I took two things from that. Really. I took number one, I was on the right track, you know, because Gary and I are way different in the way we approach the game, but we both believe in the same fundamental things, you know what I mean? And that's you know, accountability and guys playing hard and effort and and, and being fundamentally sound and, and all that type of stuff. Um, and so I got to learn that I wasn't that far off. And then the second thing which turned out to be really valuable is I got to see what a great place TCU was. Yeah. You know, I had no idea what this place was like. You know, I hadn't been here much, I hadn't been around much, and and so I got to get here and see man, Fort Worth's a great town. Wow, you're in the middle of DFW, you can recruit kids from all you know across east texas and louisiana in central texas really want to come to tcu and and man there's a great administration here and wow they're really committed and you know the student body's awesome and so i got to learn all this stuff and 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 where i was like wow if you know if coach patterson ever retires or something happens there then that's yeah. that'd be a heck of a place to go and so you know those were the things that really i i took from that as much as anything else and um And so it was, it was a really valuable year. I learned a lot. The thing I enjoyed probably the most was just being able to walk into a room and sit in the back of the room Yeah. and just not have to be in charge. And I really enjoyed that. Um, It was really, I got to learn and listen, you know, it's amazing how much more you can learn when you, when you're not the one talking. Mm -hmm. And so I just, I didn't say much. I just sat in the back of the room. I listened and tried to soak in as much knowledge and, and as I could and, you know it was a really valuable really valuable year uh, you know because of that
2: just fascinating story and and two two things as i as i listened so intently is the the renewal that happened but also the validation and and i man i already knew from a competitor standpoint and watching at cal i, I saw tremendous growth and progress and i also knew how difficult it was but that program was um, uh, the trajectory was upward and it was upward pretty fast. And, and sometimes the record five and seven and nine and three, there's not much difference. Uh, um, and, and those teams that you were building there, anyone could see the progress that was being made. Um, but sometimes as coaches and we're hard on ourselves, there, there needs sometimes just a pause. And with what I've been saying is with distance comes clarity, just one year of distance by being in the back of the room, not the front yeah. All the, that perspective, especially um, and then when your family is happier being renewed after a pretty s- significant John already in the coaching profession, it seems like that really framed chapter two well. And then here comes SMU. And then now now this the, the same coach, right? Um, but maybe the the two version at TCU, um, which yeah. many of us are working to become, is is just now the the even better than what he already was.
1: For sure, for sure. And, and going through that was hard. I mean, nobody wants to get fired and nobody, you know, wants to, as I said earlier, you know, you've kind of been lucky enough to have a lot of success and, and you do, you kind of start going, well, what did, what did I do wrong? And, you know, but, but, but I do think that there's a million things I did wrong. And I think that's what was great is you got to learn from all those and you got to say, well, look, if I get this opportunity again, here's totally. what I'm going to do different. And, and so you learn so much from it. Um, And it it ends up being such a blessing. I mean, it's so strange. You know, there was a time in my life where I was really kind of angry and and all that stuff. And it's like now I look back on that four years and I'm like some of the some of the best years of our lives. We got to, you know, see and experience things that we would have never been a part of in the past. And and, you know, and you get to learn so much and it goes kind of back to what we said earlier, you know, you learn from pain and from suffering and from difficulty Um, But you also have to make sure that you also learn from a year like we had this year when you go 13 and two, you know, because look, we understand. I I promise you, I know this. We don't have it figured out. You know what (laughs) I mean? We are a long way from having it figured out. I know how fortunate we were to win some of those games that we won last year. I don't think that we're sitting over here going, you know, look, we're we're smarter than everybody else or any of that. I mean, I think we just goes back to what you said. I mean, it's a very fine line between eight and four and twelve and oh. And we were fortunate that we, you know, we made plays and some, some, some really, really close ball games to to get ourselves there because, you know, we weren't the kind of team that was just going to show up and, and freak everybody out with our athleticism. (laughs) You know, we had, we had good players, but we were going to have to, you know, play winning football in order to win. And, and, and we had to play well, you know, we really did. I mean, the thing with us, we played really, really well, 14 of the 15 weeks and the, the one time we didn't play well was in the national championship game. And what a, what a sorry time to not play well, but, um, but we had to, I mean, look, if we didn't play well against Tarleton state week two, we would have gotten beat. (laughs) I mean, you know, we just weren't good enough to not to to not play well. And, and, you know, you got to give our our, our players credit. I mean, they, they really did. They, they played hard and they never gave up and they believed in each other. And, and uh, it was just a, a magical year. And, but again, I do I, I do think and hope that we are smart enough as a program to know that, you know, look, we were also very fortunate to, to be in the situation that we were.
2: Well, it, it's um, as I listened to the, just the discrepancy or the, the difference between one and eleven your first year at Cal. And I was two and ten at Virginia the first year. And that that's I learned as much or more. And to say that that didn't affect confidence. Um, It it can in anybody, including, um, right, the stakeholders. And sometimes you never get them back, even if the program excels. And sometimes, you know, that's just part of learning and growing. Um, But then I think that's why I enjoyed your season as much as I did, is because of um, uh, the lessons learned through success along the way. And there's a really cool definition of a, a level five leader, which is the highest level. And they're this combination of humility and will. And, and so just as you said, after a fantastic season, what I heard you say is you don't have it figured out. And I think that the best leaders, there's the humility, but also will and confidence at the same time. And they can all exist at the same time. It's not one or the other. And and so I think the leaders um, like, like what you're doing and the success you've had that still understand that fine line and humility and they don't have it figured out, I think understand just um, how – where the margins really are. And so here comes the next season and yeah, here comes the new expectations and the players are lucky to have you with kind of the perspective. And And I think one of the things that I'm going to take away from this podcast, maybe more than anything. And for our listeners is joy. Um, when joy is appropriate and when you've accomplished Definitely. something hard yeah, yeah. to pause and enjoy and to celebrate wildly and, and appropriate and to set aside a place for that rather than just the yeah but we're on to the next one and yeah
1: that's that's
2: not okay and it's not a
1: stay in life and i do think that that when you do kind of celebrate that joy it does i think it it does refuel you and i think it does fill your heart uh and i think we all need that you know what i mean because if we don't then you know it's it's just a just joyless trudge (laughs) through life and where at the end of it all i mean all you know all the only thing you're worried about is the scoreboard and i don't know that that's necessarily you know the way i want to be judged and certainly not how i want our players to be judged because there's so much more to it than that and we all know we're in a bottom line business don't get me wrong but but there is there is a lot more to take from what we're doing than just winning and losing on saturday and and i think that if you can understand that and put that into perspective then it's going to give you an opportunity to do all the things you have to do as a head coach and as an assistant coach. And, and, and also to have fun, yeah. you know, and get to do it and, and, and enjoy coming to work every day and appreciate the, the blessings that you have. And, and, uh, and I think that's, you know, it refuels all of our hearts when we can do that a little bit It makes us, you know, better coaches, but I think more importantly, it makes us better husbands and, and parents as well.
2: Well, just uh, so- really appreciate your perspective and also taking time uh, as we already heard what your schedule is like. And for our listeners, it's hard to even fathom that, but just that you took time to share and help others. Uh, we really appreciate it. And, and just continued success. Really, really yeah, thanks, fun.
1: really appreciate okay. you guys. A real, real blessing to have a chance to visit with you and maybe we'll do it again sometime. Uh, that's fine.
2: All right, All right,
1: yeah, we'll, right, we'll, we'll
0: definitely have to do that, Sonny. And we certainly appreciate the time and uh, best of luck next season. Uh, I know you guys are kicking it off on big new kickoff on, on Fox against Colorado. So uh, excited to see uh, how, how the next edition of, of your teams uh, get going, but uh, we appreciate the time for, for Sonny Dykes, for Bronco Mendenhall. I am Brian Fisher. Thanks for joining us here on the, in this episode of head coach. You